Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We're going to get into the Word. And um, we've been in a series for a number of weeks called Known, and I want to encourage you, you can, you can go back on YouTube or on the podcast, you can hear all the messages where we've just been examining God's character and his heart and the fact that the, the creator of the universe wants us to know him is just mind-blowing. So if you want to go back and check that out, I encourage you, it will be, it will be just such a, an encouragement to you. And I've been thinking about the month of November for a while now, and I was joking with, with CJ and Melissa in our staff meeting this week, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, leading up to Christmas time, we're just going to have a couple of messages that are sort of not tied to anything, and then about halfway through the week, I just sent them a message, I'm like, yeah, I lied, I, I have something that I think I want to do for a few weeks, it's a little bit off the wall, if you'll bear with me, um, but I, I have something that the Lord's been kind of putting in place on my heart for a while, um, and, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it for just a couple of weeks here anyway. Because when I've been looking at Scripture and, and really going deep with Scripture, I realize that as the Lord reveals himself to us in the Word, as he makes himself known intentionally, a lot of times that happens in ways that are repeated throughout Scripture. In repetitive ways, repetitive themes, and very, very frequently it happens at repeated places, even in Scripture. So I want to take a couple of weeks and just kind of zoom in on some of the details we gloss over in Scripture that we, we often overlook because, well, we're not taught to look for them. So how many of you guys are readers out there who enjoy reading stories? Okay, we got a handful. I feel like it's less and less every year. I'm a little concerned about the lack of reading. We, we don't read things beyond 140 characters anymore, is right? Well, well, my wife and I, if you're new here, if you don't know this, we say it all the time. We're kind of bookworms. We love to read and love to read stories in particular. Um, just really, really enjoy getting lost in a story and, and letting my imagination run wild. And when you, when you come across a person who's a, a great author, in our time, so much of the time why we consider them to be a great author is we say things like, you know, we can just get lost in the world they're creating for us in their book, right? We can taste the food, we can imagine the places, we can feel the wind on our face, whatever it is, um, because their descriptions that they give us through their words are so amazing, so beautiful. And then we come to the Bible and we're like, we don't get any of that, you get none of that. You get very little detail, you know, very little kind of context clues and things to help you put yourself in the story. So sometimes we struggle to connect to the stories of the word because it's not written like one of our giant novels that we have today with a lot of extra language. But we're trained when we read to look for a bunch of visual cues that can turn it into a movie in our minds. Descriptions everywhere, but ancient Hebrew literature in particular is intentionally light on detail. So we kind of struggle sometimes to relate. It's no wonder that the Bible is still the most purchased and least read book in existence. But here's the thing. In the stories we encounter in the Word of God, as God is intentionally making himself known, details are intentionally kept thin. But when those details are given, almost all of the time they are loaded with significance. They're intentionally chosen. So we look at it when we start reading about a place, we're like, okay, cool, they're in the desert, whatever. No, 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 there, there's a reason the author's telling you that. And it's everywhere in scripture. When we read a Bible story, the things we think of as insignificant 
are often massive to the story, packed with symbolism. Things like oil and wine and vines and rocks and rainbows and lambs and honey and trees are loaded with meaning and significance. The symbolism of the Bible is amazing. There are special regions and borders, places like Babylon that come back again and again. We're meant to connect the dots in Scripture a lot. There are elements that we, we kind of think of as background information, particularly the settings and the landscapes of Scripture that do way more for us than just set the scene. And I, I want to just look at some of those with you for a little bit. And I, my hope is that you'll fall deeper in love with Scripture, that you'll get a sense of just how incredible what God has given us in his word is. Tim Mackey calls these little details in Scripture the, the hyperlinks of the word. How many of you guys know, like, when you scroll on a web page and you see a word in blue, you can click on it, right? It's a hyperlink is the name for it. If it glows blue, it takes you somewhere else. It takes you to a new web page, and Scripture is loaded with hyperlinks. They just don't glow blue at us in our Bibles, so we kind of miss them sometimes. Translators have often tried to help us identify them. Maybe you have in your Bible, like, the big middle section that has a bunch of random stuff going on. Those are just the major ones, but on every page of the Bible, there's a lot of hyperlinks going back and forth between the story with those things we sometimes think are insignificant. But over the last few years, I've been reading the Bible differently than ever before. I've been realizing just how significant those details are and just how significant particularly certain places are in the Word of God. So for a few weeks, I want to look at the landscapes of Scripture that are repeated for a reason. I want us to look at the mountains and the valleys, the deserts and the rivers that we see. And I think each and every week we're going to learn something that's going to speak to each of our hearts. All right? So today we're talking about mountains. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would just come and blow our minds with your word. You say of it in Isaiah 55 that it goes forth from your mouth and it never returns to you void. Your word is on the move. It is living and active. It's doing something different in each and every one of us. But God, just take us deeper. We want to know you more. We want to experience you in this place. Speak to us from your word as never before, Jesus. Take us to a new place in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I go on vacation... A lot of times, I like to get out in nature. Is there anybody else that's like, you're kind of like, I, want, I, don't, I don't want to sit inside, I don't want to whatever, I want to get out in nature. I want to enjoy nature. I love to hike, and in particular, I love to see and, and go to the mountains. Anybody else love the mountains? Yeah. Like, around here, we don't have mountains. I mean, like, mountains, you know? I lived in Florida for a while. The only mountain was the trash dump. We called it Mount Trashmore. So, so if you're from Florida and you're watching, I'm sorry, but it's kind of the way it is. Um, you know, over the years, I've gotten to go and, and see some incredible places, incredible mountain settings, and, and I love to go hiking. I've done a few like, kind of really intense hikes, because when you're hiking in the hills, it's one thing. When you start hiking in mountains, it's like, you better be ready, right? Some intense hikes. There's one that I remember that's just particularly grueling hike that I was in no way prepared for. Um, looking back now, I realized I was so unprepared for that. I didn't realize how intense what it was that I signed up for was. You know, apparently they have ratings for hiking trails. I didn't know this until 2021. I didn't know that there was like websites that are like, yeah, that, that you should not do that unless you've been training a while. But there are ratings for trails and hikes all over this world. And earlier this year, Lara and I were planning a family trip to, to join our family. And we were planning, scouting out some trails that we could hike. And I got curious 
about that trail that kicked my butt all those years ago in, in 2013. My brother had come to visit me. I was living in the United Kingdom, and he came to visit me. And as you do when you're in your mid-20s, and you just are like, yeah, let's go climb a mountain. Right, because we're ready for that. Okay, so um, we, we drove 10 hours into the highlands of Scotland to climb Ben Nevis, which is the, the tallest mountain on the island of Great Britain. And we had not trained at all. It was sopping wet, like just this fine mist that soaked into your bones all day. We had none of the right gear. In fact, I like stole some stuff from my workplace, some like ill-fitting jackets and stuff just so that we could do it. Um, we, had we had none of the right stuff. We bit off more than we could chew that day. Back to 2021, and I discovered, you know, there's, there's ratings for these trails, and I go, I wonder what that hike is rated. Oh my gosh. It was rated as extremely difficult, and we had no right to attack this mountain, okay? So I found out that this trail was 9.8 miles and 4,400 feet of elevation gain. Why not, right? <laughs> we had no idea what we were signing up for. I can tell you this, I've never been so exhausted in my entire life as sitting on top of that mountain. I didn't even want to go back down. I was so tired. It's like, can we just stay here? Because climbing mountains isn't easy. Climbing mountains ain't for the faint of heart, okay? But I can also tell you this, the view from the top was incredible. Looking down through the clouds was incredible. Because on the mountaintop, there's clarity. On the mountaintop, even though it might take all your might to get into that place, there is revelation. Amen? So we're going to look at the mountains. And, and kind of before we dive into a specific story in the Word, I just want to talk about what, what the mountains mean in ancient times and in the Bible itself. Because in the Word of God and in the ancient world that the Hebrew people occupied, mountains were incredibly significant places in Scripture. They're very, very important. So when you get the detail about a mountain, you're meant to have some understanding going on. They're associated with the place where heaven and earth overlap. Heaven and earth meet. That's why oftentimes you read in Scripture that at the high places is where the shrines and the temples are built in scriptural times. With the Greeks, they had Mount Olympus, right? That they all kind of thought was the holy mountain of the gods. With the Canaanites that we read of and interacting with the Hebrew people, they had Mount Zaphon. Every, every culture had its holy mountain. It's a theme throughout scripture. A famous Samaritan woman even gets a, into a fight with Jesus. And what is one of the things she fights with him over is, you know, you, you Jews think your holy mountain is Jerusalem, but this is our holy mountain. Which mountain's better, Jesus? You tell me. Right? The place where heaven meets earth. You know, often they see it applied to Mount Zion in Jerusalem over and over again in scripture. I want to read to you from Psalm 48. It's kind of get a look at some of the ways that people thought about the mountain of the Lord. It says this in verse 1 through, C, 1 through 3. How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as its defender. See this all the time with the language around Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Even the Garden of Eden, the place of God's presence with man, is depicted not just as a beautiful lush garden, but as a holy mountain setting in Ezekiel 28 and other places in Scripture. Why am I sharing this with you? Well, there's a reason that we sing so many worship songs about getting up the mountain with God. 
There's a reason that we talk about wanting to have a mountaintop experience with God. The mountain is the place where we meet God's presence. And scripture continually affirms this kind of language, shows us a longing for God to take us up into his presence, describes his holy mountain. We even get moments of prophecy like Isaiah who said this, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above all other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. The imagery of the holy mountain is everywhere in Scripture. It is so significant to the way that they talked about meeting God's presence. It represents that place where God's presence dwells. And just like people in those days... You know, people are still looking for that place where heaven meets earth. They're still looking for that place where they can go and experience what their soul is, is longing for, was made for, from every culture, from every nation. Part of our DNA as human beings is that there is a longing in our hearts to find that mountain and to climb it and to be with him because you and I were made to be in his presence. I want to look at one specific mountain in scripture. And I think it will show us a little bit of what it means for us to go into the presence of the Lord. If you want to turn with me, we're going to look at Exodus 34 in a moment because it was on a very, very special mountain that we left off with Moses in our known series. Alone in God's presence once again. I want to read to you about Sinai. So Exodus 34 and verse 28 tells us how it, how it ended with Moses on the mountain. It says, Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets and scribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware, but his face became radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But this, just, this isn't just any other hill, we're told. This is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain of God, as it's called in Scripture. Sometimes it's referred to as Mount Horeb. But the mountain of God, and it only appears three times in Scripture. It's talked about, but there are three stories of what happens on the mountain of God. This is Moses' second time on the mountain, because it's at Mount Sinai where Moses first encounters God in the burning bush. And he hears the name of God for the first time. And his life is changed forever. You might remember the story where Moses is at when he first comes to Sinai. On the run, his identity as a prince of Egypt is completely erased because of one terrible moment in his life. He's hiding from his past. He's tending sheep when he stumbles across a burning bush on the mountain of God. The Lord calls to him from within the bush, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground now. And the Lord sends him out, commissions him as a savior for the people. But not before Moses makes a few excuses along the way, right? Maybe you remember the story and Moses is like, I think you've got the wrong guy. I can't do what you're asking me to do. And God says, let me worry about that. You know, Moses is more than a little bit reluctant to go back to Egypt, but there on the mountain of God, all of his excuses, 
the identity crisis that he's lost in, his failures, all of his faults are eclipsed by the presence of God himself. God reveals his covenant name, the one that many devout Jews to this day will not say out loud in this moment. And years later, Moses leads the people back to Mount Sinai. And it is at Mount Sinai that God makes a covenant with Israel, reveals not only his name, but all of his nature and who he is and what he's like to God's people. That's the story we've been focusing on for the last few weeks. But there's one other time in all of scripture that we get taken back to Sinai. And I want to pick up some of the parallels. I want to read the story with Elijah in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 to you because if you pay attention to it, the story in 1 Kings 19 has so many echoes to the moments with Moses on this same mountain. And they're not to be missed. They're important for us. So I want to read to you what happens in 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. And see if you can pick up on some of the parallels as we read, okay? It says this, When Ahab got home... He told Jezebel about everything Elijah had done. Elijah just had some massive victory over all the prophets of Baal. And and then this happens. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just like you killed them. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went all alone into the wilderness, traveling all day and sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for this journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to try and kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When the Lord told him, or then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel into the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. Those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. And I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. 
What's going on in this story? We have a prophet who should be riding on a high after a huge victory for the Lord who is afraid for his life because of what's going on with the people again. Let's look at some of the parallels here. A prophet doing something zealous for the Lord that instead ends him up on the run, right? Moses ran for 40 years from Egypt. Elijah fled for 40 days. The people, when they were waiting for Moses on the mountain, he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. This number of 40 on the mountain comes back to us. It's the number in Hebrew scripture that is significant. It signifies a time of testing in the word. Anytime you read about 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years, 40 anything, God's telling you, this was a time when my people were being tested. This is a time where we were, we were checking in to see how much they love me. And we may see this pop up if we talk about deserts as well. Arriving at the mountain, Elijah is hidden in the cleft of the rock and hides his face from the Lord. God hides Moses in a cave as well and, and covers him with his hand when his glory passes by. We have this hiding thing going on. Both of them at one point say to God, Lord, just take my life. Just take my life. I can't do with these people anything more. You know, they say it for different reasons, but they both have the same complaint before the Lord. I'm the last one left. You know, your people have broken your covenant. What are we doing here, God? So we have all these parallels, but, you know, we also see with Moses and Elijah, God is unpacking what's going on inside the reluctant prophet. Their excuses, their frustrations, their failures in these moments on the mountain. There are three things that I want us to see on the mountain of God. Takeaways from what the presence of God does with us. First thing is this, the mountain of God, the presence of God, that is a holy place. It's a holy place. God says to Moses in his first meeting at Mount Sinai, he says, you're on holy ground, son. You need to take off your shoes. When they arrive there 40 years later with all the people, after leaving Egypt, once more, God makes it really clear, this is a holy place. This is not a place to be messed around with. It's not to be taken lightly presence of God. He promises to meet them there, but it's on his terms, isn't it? He says, don't let anybody approach the mountain. Don't even let animals go near the mountain. Otherwise, their life is forfeit. This is a holy place. Don't go lightly onto the mountain. In Exodus 19 and 20, God's presence shows up in such power with a lightning and lightning and earthquakes, smoke billowing from the mountain. Even when God says, okay, you can come up the mountain now and be in my presence. They're like, no, we're good. I don't know about you, but if you see smoke coming from the top of the mountain, you don't want to sign up for that hiking trip. Okay? Stay away from that mountain. Moses is like, okay, let's go. And they're like, yeah, we're right behind you. Not. We've got to remember something about the presence of God. We've got to remember something about the mountaintop that God wants to bring you to in his presence. And that's this. The presence of God is not something to be taken for granted. It's not something that we should take lightly. It's never something that we should enter into without recognizing that we serve a holy God, that he is holy. Bible refers to this as the fear of the Lord, a healthy respect that should come over us when we consider how holy, how amazing, how masterful our God is. We need to be careful that we don't flippantly enter his presence. We need to stand in awe of the creator of the universe. Even when Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven. The very next thing he reminds us is, may your name be kept holy. 
He's saying, may we remember who it is we pray to. Yes, he is with us and he is for us. But he is still the creator of the universe. His power is awesome and we don't belong there. He invites us there. N.T. Wright says it like this, God is at once tender and terrifying and his presence is a holy place. When we step into his presence, it's a privilege. We're not worthy to be there. Amen? We need to remember that. Presence of God is a holy place. The mountain of God is a holy place. Second thing that we learn from these stories about Sinai is this. It's a place of revelation. It's a place of revelation. God reveals things on the mountain. He reveals himself, his nature, his heart, who he is. And he reveals a lot about us too. But I want us to notice this first. The way that God reveals himself in each of these three experiences on the mountain of God is totally different. It's different each time. First, with Moses, it was in a burning bush. You know, with his voice and his name. The next time he comes, there's no burning bush. The whole thing's on fire, right? There's smoke and earthquakes and lightning strikes. Then, almost as if to to labor the point through Elijah's story, God intentionally does not show up in the fire, does not show up in the earthquake or the wind. I wonder if he's doing that on purpose. I wonder if he's jogging their memory as to the last time they saw Sinai. Instead, God has, them, has Elijah wait through those things and listen for a still, small voice, a gentle whisper that he speaks through. I want us to catch this. What does this mean for us today about the presence of God? God may show up at the same place sometimes, but that does not mean he's always going to show up in the same way. That does not mean that he's going to show up for you in your life in the same way that he's going to show up for somebody else in their life. He may move in my life differently than he moves in yours. I may experience his presence in a different place or a different way than you do. And that's something that we need to keep in mind when we grow in Jesus. I've, I've never tried it before, but I've been told that in the far more reckless days when cars were young, that people would pull really close on the highway behind a semi-truck and like allow it to pull them along with its, you know, the wake and draft behind the semi-truck. If any, is anybody here who's done that before? You know, I could have I known it was you, Perdans. Risk takers, you. <laughs> it, I, it saves fuel, right? Yeah, so that was the thought. I mean, I think it's also extremely dangerous. Um, <laughs> but I think we do that sometimes spiritually as well. We get up close behind a bigger fish than us, and we draft in their wake. You know, sometimes we do this spiritually, whether it's with a leader, whether it's a friend, pastor, small group leader, whatever. Sometimes we want to let them do all the work and we just want to ride the coattails. Spiritually speaking, we listen to their stories of how God's moving in their life and we kind of steal them and take them as our own. But you have to remember something. You can't copy and paste somebody else's experience with God into your life. It doesn't work like that. Elijah didn't get to experience God in the same way that Moses experienced God on the mountain. There were some parallels, some similarities there. It was the same place, but it happened differently for him. In fact, Moses didn't even experience God the same way twice on the mountain. You can't copy and paste someone else's experience with God into your life. You have to go to the mountain yourself. You have to seek his presence yourself. You have to go there and see what he wants to do with you, that unique story he wants to tell with you 
because he wants your heart, not by proxy. Another important thing about the revelation of God that takes place on the mountain that we need to remember is this. It's a double-edged sword. It's a twofold revelation of God that we get. He doesn't just reveal his holiness, his awesome power, and his nature on the mountain. But for both of these prophets, he reveals what's going on inside of them in his presence. He begins to speak to them about what's going on on the inside of them in his presence. Because both Elijah and Moses, they had some issues going on on the inside when they encountered God on the mountain. They had some excuses going on. Moses says to God, I, you know what? You got the wrong guy. I'm not the guy you're looking for, God. I can't even speak so good. Right? And he makes his excuses to God why, why he should not be the choice. Elijah doesn't even make it to the mountain before he starts praying. and's like, I had enough, Lord. It's clearly not working here. And God has to get into it with him on the mountain. Ask him twice, why are you here then? What are you doing here, Elijah? When we enter God's presence, he doesn't just give us a grander revelation of who he is. He doesn't just reveal his heart for us. He doesn't just introduce us to his amazing power. Sometimes he wants to help us see ourselves the way he sees us. And sometimes that feels great, right? Sometimes it feels amazing because he looks on us with eyes of favor and he believes in us more than we believe in ourselves, like Moses. But other times, that also requires something of us in his presence. It requires us to lay down some of the identities we've been walking with for far too long that don't line up with what he says about us. When there's revelation in God's presence, when there's revelation on the mountain, we don't get to hold on to some of the things that are not true that we want to hold on to real bad, that are comfortable for us. It's our ways of operating. It's a double-edged sword of his presence and revelation on the mountain. Moses was walking with an identity problem. Failed prince of Egypt. He was walking around with the identity of a has-been and a murderer. That one moment got away from him in zeal and turned everything in his life upside down. And it would never be the same. And he was beside himself, living in total obscurity. But God encountered him and said, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. That is not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Elijah talks to God and starts describing himself. He says, I'm the only faithful one. I find it curious that he forgets about the ones that Obadiah had in the, uh, hidden in the cave. And he also, God's like, no, no, no. I have 7,000 you don't know about, right? <laughs> like, but in this moment, Elijah has an identity for himself that he's constructed as well. But it took him to a place of despair, not into a place of blessing. So God said, we got to fix what's going on in you as well in this moment. When we step onto the mountain with God, when we step into the place of his presence where heaven meets earth, God wants to do some work inside of us. To be honest, that's probably why it's a scary place for some of us to go to. Maybe we're not ready for him to do the work. Maybe we're not quite ready to surrender and say, take my life, you can do with me whatever you want. God. Maybe that's why we don't make space to enter his presence, time in our schedules and our busy lives, whatever it is. When we step into his presence, he wants to do some work. He wants to show us who we truly are. But we've got to be ready to let go of maybe what someone else said about us that we started to believe. 
Maybe the ways that we've thought about ourselves are those identities that we've constructed about ourselves. Because for what God has in store for us, you know, he wants to take us to a place those old identities cannot take us, that we could never get ourselves. Like Moses, you know, with, hey, take off those shoes. Dad was talking about that moment last week when he shared with us. When God says to Moses, this is holy ground, take off your shoes, it wasn't like, hey, I just swept the floors in here, don't get any dirt in here. It was more like those shoes are incapable of getting the job done for you any longer. That identity you've been walking in for 40 years, decades maybe for some of us in this room, is not going to take us to where God wants to take us. The future that God has for us is a place that we need him to ready us for. Amen? So the presence of God, the mountain of God, it's a holy place. It's a place of revelation. And it's a place of commissioning. It is a place where he wants to send us out. When we go into his presence and we see ourselves in our imperfection, we see him in his perfection, encounter him in perfection we can't even look at, we leave different. But we leave. We leave different, but he sends us out. And if we allow God to inform us, teach us who we are, reveal himself to us in those moments, he wants to send us out in new purpose and new power every time. Remember Moses coming down from the mountain with his face glowing, carrying a new set of marching orders for God's people. When he left the mountain, it was with new purpose, new promises from God, and new power behind him. Elijah gets sent out to usher in a new era for God's people. My mind runs to a story in the Gospels of Jesus when he takes Peter, James, and John up a different mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration as it's called, where he gets totally transformed before their eyes. He's glowing like Moses' face. And they're like, what is going on here? Who shows up in that moment? Moses and Elijah? I wonder if that's supposed to be significant. Anyway, Peter says to Jesus, let's camp out here. Let's never leave this place. This looks like a great base of operations. People start glowing here. I like what's going on. Lots of people like that idea. So he's like, I'm going to go get some wood. We're going to build some tents. Home. This is home base. I just picture Moses and Elijah just smiling. He still doesn't get it. He doesn't get it yet. He doesn't get it. Peter, you're going to learn. Because the mountain is a place of commissioning. When we get into God's presence, we leave change. It's not a place to camp out. It's a place where we're sent out. It's not a place where we get to just chill and hoard God's presence and joy and his power all for ourselves. It's a place where we get sent out so that everybody gets to experience that. Peter didn't get it in that moment. Peter didn't get it a whole lot in scripture. But he gets there eventually. God's presence is a holy place. It's a place of revelation that we need. And it's a place where we are sent out into fresh purpose. You see, we may gloss over the significance of what we think of as background details in scripture. There's always a story within the story. These landscapes that we encounter time and time again in Scripture, they're significant and they matter. So let's apply this to our lives for just a couple moments and get practical with it, if that's okay. I've got one really big question for each of us at the heart of it all, and that's simply this. What holds you back from the mountain? What is it that is stopping you from going into the presence of God today? Maybe, like Moses and Elijah, maybe it's the way you see yourself. You know, it's, maybe it's unworthy, 
know, if, if God is holy, which I know he is, then there is no way he wants anything to do with me. Maybe it's the way we think of ourselves. Maybe, again, like a Moses and Elijah and anybody else virtually in Scripture who has a mountaintop experience with God, maybe you've got some excuses. When God's presence erupts in somebody's life in Scripture, you see it time and time again. They're like, I'm falling over like I'm a dead man. I'm not worthy to be here. So maybe we have our excuses of why God doesn't want to meet with us, why God can't use us, why we're unworthy to be even in his presence. But what stops you from being in the presence of God? It could be really practical. It could just be the facts of your situation right now. You've got a lot going on, right? Maybe, maybe it's just our busyness. It amazes me that even through this pandemic period when there was the time when everything got real simple real fast, everybody was still busier than ever in here, right? Maybe there's certain things about that that hold us back from making space for God's presence in our lives. It could be the time crunch, the list goes on. It could be some failures in your past that you just can't seem to shake. But there are things and there is an enemy that wants to take those things in our lives and make sure you never get into God's presence. He wants to hold you back in every way. He will use absolutely any tool at his disposal to stop you from going to the mountain. We have to get to the mountain. Maybe you've been walking in the wrong shoes for too long, believing the wrong things for too long. Maybe you've been simply riding along on someone's coattails and drafting in their experience with God. But today, he's calling to you. Not to someone else. He's calling to you to come as you are and let him tell you who you are in his presence. No matter where you've been or what you've been doing, he wants you to enter his presence. He wants to make a way every single day for you to come near so he can remind you what he thinks of you, so he can undo those lies of the enemy, so that he can encounter you with his presence and his grace. He wants you to hear that he created you, he designed you, and he thinks the world of you. He looks on you with eyes of favor. He wants you to rediscover how he made your heart to beat, but it only happens when we get in his presence. Only happens when we make space Climbing mountains is hard. Getting into that place, wherever it is for you, sometimes it's so hard. It feels like the whole world is set against you, and in many ways it is. But we've got to get there. Amen? Yes, that may mean that we have to let God do some work inside of us. Maybe that means for us that we've got to be ready for God to, you know, Take those identities, those ways that we think about ourselves and put them in the back seat, not the front seat anymore. Because there's only one who can define you. And he's knocking on the door of your heart, even now. He's made a way for you to have his presence, not just on a mountain somewhere in the Middle East, but right where you are every single day in Jesus. I love how Jesus wraps up his conversation with the Samaritan lady who wants to argue about the holy mountain with him. John chapter 4, he says this to her. Believe me, dear woman, time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Time is coming, indeed the time is now, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus knew exactly what he was making access available to for you and I. 
He knew exactly what his mission on earth was, and it was to make sure that there is no way, there is nothing that can hold us back from the mountain except ourselves. Truth is, none of us is worthy to stand in his presence. But Jesus brought the mountain of God's presence to you and me. Because of Jesus, we have access to his presence every single day. If we will seek it and make time for it and not let anything hold us back, we can be in his presence every single day. Just like God in the Exodus account, when they wouldn't go near the mountain, when they couldn't go near the mountain, when they couldn't go up, he created a place where he could come down to them in the tabernacle model. John says Jesus, in coming from heaven to earth, was doing the exact same thing for every single person, was coming down off the mountain to literally be God's walking mountain with us, walking presence every single day. You were made to have a daily experience on a mountaintop with God. And because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, Paul tells us that his presence lives inside of every one of us who choose to follow him. We can have access to his presence, that place where heaven meets earth, every single day if we will seek him. There is a place where heaven and earth meet, and it's in the person of Jesus. He is our tabernacle. He is the mountaintop that all of our hearts long for. And today, he's still making an invitation to every single one of us. Because every single one of us take it for granted more than we like to say. He's making an invitation to say, come to me. Make space for my presence. I'm right here. I know everything that's going on with you. Maybe you're worn out. Come to me. I'll take the burdens too. Whatever's holding you back, I can handle it. Just get here. Just get here with me. I'm right here waiting knocking, asking to be present with you. Will you make space in your heart for me? Whether or not you've experienced his presence before, you might be here and you have no idea what it's like to stand in God's presence, to feel his heartbeat pressing in on you. He wants you to know it's not about your righteousness, it's about his. None of us are worthy to be there. It's about his righteousness. And he wants you to get to that place with him. You may be here and you maybe are afraid of what he'll ask of you in that place. What he'll want to change in you, grow in you. What maybe you're going to have to let go of if you really want to seek him with everything. Where he might send you. You know, you're in good company in the word. <laughs> there are so many people who are just as fearful of those things. But he promises that what you really need most, what you were created for, what your soul is searching for every single day in all of those other pursuits and identities and passions and hobbies, interests, whatever, you're going to have it because you were made for his presence. You were made for his presence. That thing that you're hungry for, all the hobbies and interests and wormholes you can go down on the internet will not help you find it. It only happens in his presence. It only happens in his presence. You were created for an intimate relationship with the creator. Jesus came down from heaven to be with you. So, will you let him meet you where you are? Will you let him encounter you with his grace and tell you who you are? Because he has so much in store for you, you can't even imagine. Amen? Wherever you're at today, maybe, maybe like Moses, you've run away from God pretty far. <laughs> maybe you've never said yes to him before in the first place. Maybe you've been walking with God a long time, but 
You haven't been getting into his presence anymore like you used to. Today's your day to be on the mountain with him again. Today's your day where he wants to teach you that every single day you can come into his presence. Amen? I want us to stand. We're going to worship in just a moment, but I want us to pray together. And I, I don't know everything going on in everybody's life, but I can say this. We're busier people than ever before, right? We've got a lot going on. But I do know this is true of you. Your soul is still longing for the mountain. I want us to pray a prayer together. And I want to lead you in it. And I want you to mean this from your heart. And if you do, maybe you have never, ever said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never said, God, take me deeper, take me into your presence before. But if you pray it, just rest assured, it's the best prayer you can pray, but it will leave you different. (laughs) When you go into God's presence, we don't come out the same. I want to invite you to mean this from your heart. And if it's for the very first time, it's going to kick off something in your life that's unstoppable. And maybe, maybe for you it's not your first time. Maybe it's been a long time. Or maybe your love has kind of just been growing cold. You haven't been experienced God. But I want you to mean this. And I know that if you'll commit to it, if you'll seek him, you'll understand what he says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it will change your life forever. So would you just pray this prayer with me? Pray, Jesus, thank you for coming for me. I know you're a holy God. I know I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying for me and being raised to new life. Help me to trust you more. Help me to seek you daily to come into your presence. I give you my life. Not just in my words, but in every action. Draw me into your presence. Reveal your heart to me. Set me free and send me out. I belong to you. Amen. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the way you never stop calling to us. I'm thankful, like CJ said, that no matter how far we run, you are always right there when we choose to seek you finally. God, I know how many times I've been running from your mountain, from your presence. I know how many times I've had things going on within my life that made me scared to come into your presence because I know how unworthy I am. But God, you're bigger than all of that. Your grace knows no bounds. And no matter how far I've run, you are right there. Your grace goes further still. It erases and eclipses every wrong path I've ever tread. Because in an instant, you can transform everything in your presence. You just want us to get there. So God, I pray that you would draw us back again to the place where heaven and earth meet. For every single one of us, it may look different, but God, help us to prioritize your presence every day. Help us, Lord, to let nothing stop us from seeking you with everything we are. Lord, we don't do it flippantly. We're not casual about it because you are holy, and we know who it is that we're going to meet with. But God, we've got to get there. 
And I pray you would help us to know it's the deepest desire of your heart that we do get there, where you can teach us again who we really are, where you can dispel all the lies of the enemy, where you can rewire our thinking in all the wrong ways that we've grown to think about ourselves. And you can send us into your purposes. God, be glorified in this place. Be glorified in the church, in every single human heart in this place. God, our souls are hungry for you. We live in a time that is crazy. Every single one of us, busier than ever before. But God, we choose intentionally to make space for you because we know that nothing else will do for us. Nothing else will bring what our souls are craving. We need your revelation, God. We need you to come and do a new work. We're hungry for more of you. So God, show up in a massive way for our lives, Lord, for our families, for our futures, God. Send us out in new power because we need your strength for this next season. God, we trust you. We know that you are holy. We know that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Jesus, help us to daily seek your face, seek your presence, get out of our own way and really go after you. We know that when we come to where heaven and earth meet, we are never disappointed. We're always transformed. Renew our minds, renew our hearts, and we'll worship you give you all the glory. All of God's people said, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.